Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today's guest is screenwriter Gina Gomez. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to do this. I can't think of anything else I love talking about more than screenwriting, so. Cool. Well, we're going to get into five great screenwriting tips and pointers. But before we do, do you want to tell the listener a little bit about what you're up to at the moment? Any projects that are exciting you? Yeah, so um, my twin sister and I were a screenwriting team, which is amazing because I only have to do half the work. I'm kidding. It's still hard. Um, so at the moment, we're writing a Sherlockian, I'm not going to get into details, but mm-hmm. a Sherlockian TV pilot. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's with two female detectives as the main characters. Cool. And yeah, so, so we love the Sherlockian world. We've We've had a short actually a novella published that featured Sherlock characters. So like we love that world. So we're really excited to be writing this TV pilot. Out of interest, when you're writing a Sherlockian thing, which obviously is about solving something, do you start with dinner and then just work your way backwards? Or do you start with what the hell's going on and find your way there? It's so hard. <laughs> Mysteries are so hard, especially a Sherlockian one. Cause like, you know, automatically the audience is like really smart if they like Sherlock. Um, uh, yeah, I guess you do start at the end. The, the, I feel like there really isn't a rule, but you could start at the end. We almost like thinking about, okay, if we're the villain, if we're the murderer, how did this person do this? Mm. That's like number one, right? And then you have to think, okay, how are the heroes going to figure this out? Yeah. And then you have to make sure it's good in the sense of it can't be too easy. It can't be too obvious. So it's really hard, but that's usually our workflow. <laughs> well, no, but that's, you know, there's, there's, there's a, like you say, there's a great skill in, in teasing out a mystery because like you say, an audience that's waiting for a mystery is wanting to solve it. They want to play along with your characters. They don't just, it's not a passive experience. Is it not the mystery? Exactly. exactly. So it's so hard. It's so hard. Um, we're still in the first draft. So yeah. I'm sure after we finish the first draft, we'll have to go back a few times, not only fixing everything, but especially teasing out the mystery for sure. Well, like you say, there's two of you. So you've, you've got each other's in a way you've got each other as a reader of each other's work. I mean, that's the thing that when I'm collaborating directly with a director who wants to be in on the script development, 
it feels like I've got somebody else to write with, even though I'm doing the keyboard stuff. But there's, there's nothing better than finishing something and being able to give it to somebody to say, how does that go? Exactly. I, I honestly don't know how screenwriters do it by themselves. Like, I know that they get notes from other writers, but mm. I, man, I give props to you guys because, <laughs> like, so my twin sister, she's a um, script reader. So she's mm. read for a lot of competitions and um, she reads for The Blacklist. So she's really good at figuring mm. out what's not working and what is. And I'm so lucky uh, if I write a scene, I'm like, okay, Lisa, here you go. And then she's like, okay, this, this, and this. And, and I do the same for her stuff. So mm. yeah, we're super lucky. Well, look, we're going to do your, uh, Gina Gomez's five great screenwriting tips and pointers. Um, for those that aren't familiar with the five times five format, we, I've got a list of five headings that Gina's going to talk to. And when the clock gets past five minutes, we will hear Which is the sound of a dog barking. If you were, if you weren't able to work that out, listener, um, and that means we can politely move on without setting me or Gina onto the next item, and ensure that we spend an equal amount of time on each subject matter. So, Gina, without further ado, as the clock is ticking, your first headline is screenwriting competition tips. What do you want to say about that? Okay, I will have to condense this for five minutes. Um, a little bit of background. My sister and I have been in the top 50 of Nickel, um, which is like the most prestigious, like amateur screenwriting competition. We did that with our first script ever. Um, so I'm going to give you just some tips that we thought of the first time. We were so newbies and somehow we're in the top 50. So um, rewrite, rewrite, rewrite. I know that's obvious, yeah. but um, I know scripts can be precious. So you're like, no, this first draft, this is my instinct, but no, obviously, you know, get notes from people um, and rewrite. And then after you get notes from people and rewrite, get coverage from somewhere that you trust. And if you guys have any questions about good coverage services, please feel free to DM me on Twitter or just tweet me. Um, but yeah, please rewrite, get coverage. Like you can't just have a first draft and just put it out there because it's a waste of money, honestly. Um, also, look at their criteria. Not every contest has their criteria of what they're looking for, but with Nickel, my sister and I reread the criteria a million times and every section we're like, okay, is our script, does it hit this section? I think one of the last questions for the nickel criteria is like, is there something magical about this script? And, and, and that's so vague, but we thought to ourselves like, okay, how can we make this more magical? Mm. And obviously not in the fantastical sense, like we wrote yeah. a Van Gogh biopic. <laughs> so there's a, well, I guess there could be magic in like painting, but you know what I mean? Mm. Like really look at the competitions like criteria, because if you don't, if your script doesn't fit that criteria, you might not need to submit to that competition. Like you're not, your script isn't going to fit everything and that's okay. So don't waste money. Um, I think the biggest thing, what do you want out of the competition? So for Nickel, since it's the most prestigious one, we knew if we didn't win, that's okay. Because if we placed anywhere, even the quarterfinals, that's fine because we could use that to query. Mm. Um, some competitions, like smaller ones, you might get a mentor if you win. Like if, if you want that, like submit to that competition. Yeah. If you don't need or want a mentor, which I feel like everyone does, but if you don't, it's a waste of time. 
So really look at like, what's the end result? And even if I don't win, can I get something out of it? Got you. You know? Um, Oh, and don't think you have to enter all the competitions and that somehow makes it seem that you're going to get one. Um, Lisa and I did that at first. We spent all this money the first year that we were screenwriting and that's fine. Obviously if you're new, but the more, the longer you screenwrite, it's like, you know, don't, don't think like, Oh, if I, if I put my script in all these different places, one of them is going to bite. Maybe not. And you might be like wasting time and money. So what you're saying there is it's not like the competitions in the back of a puzzler magazine, which is if you enter more, you, you fire enough bullets, you'll hit a target. It doesn't work like that in screenwriting. Exactly. <clears throat> Unfortunately, I wish all the competitions <laughs> either had the same judges, which some do. Um, and then maybe one of them will like it. It's like, no, like just, just be smart about it. You don't have to enter every single one. Yeah. I mean, as I understand it, you've got you've got obviously Nichols, as you describe, is like the numero uno. I mean, it's it's essentially linked back to the academy, isn't it? Really, the Nichols. Yeah, yeah, if you get in the semifinals, academy members are the ones then to read and judge your script, which yeah. is pretty- yeah, exactly. And then I think the sort of other prestigious one, and this comes from listening to script notes, for example, is Austin Film Festival because it's a very screenwriter focused film festival, and therefore their screenwriting competition has got kudos, hasn't it? Yeah. And you know what? Really quick with Austin, the same script that got in the top 50 of Nickel, my sister and I only got past the first round in Austin. So like so many managers and people in the industry are like, you know, if competitions don't like your script, it's probably not good. I argue that and say that it's very subjective. Mm. Like the Nickel readers, the Academy like readers that liked it in the semifinal round and then it got in the top 50 clearly loved it and then Austin didn't. That's okay. You know, it doesn't mean your script's bad or you're a bad writer. That's, huh. That's no, that's a tough one for a writer. I mean, I've been, I've, I've, I've had a script assessed by a producer and basically told, hit the, hit the road, Jack, you know. And so I was like, I was completely perplexed because I knew I'd done the work on the script. And so... I just thought I'll get, I'll pay for a second opinion just so I don't feel like I've wasted my life. And I got a, oh, there I go. Stop myself talking, but I will finish this stuff. I will finish it up. Um, it, uh, I got um, considered with recommendations from the, from the reader. And it was like, well, you were going to throw it in the bin, Mr. Producer's reader. So I, again, there is that, there is sometimes that element of who's reading it and, and competitions are not, are not immune from that, are they? Exactly. Totally. Well, look, the dog's back. So that brings us on to number two, which is freelance script reading, common mistakes, which I feel like is a segue from that conversation. Yes. Okay. So my sister has a lot of different script coverage jobs, which means that she reads scripts and gives notes and people pay for it. Um, So along the way, I've heard tips from her, but I've also read hundreds of quote unquote amateur scripts from screenwriters. So here are some tips. Go on. Um, I know a lot of people always say, look at your opening pages. And I, I hate that because like, duh. But from a script reader point of view, that literally sets the tone for the reader in your mind. Like, is there sexist or racist description of characters? If if there is on page one, automatically for me, I'm going to already like roll my eyes and not care as much about the script. So um, when it comes to that, just really look at your opening pages 
even despite the dialogue and the description, if it's like racist or sexist, which honestly nine times out of 10, it is, unfortunately, um, does anything happen in the first five pages? I know with features, you're supposed to set up the character's world and like introduce us to their everyday, but there has to be something, even if it's not the inciting incident, there has to be something that clues the reader in on like, what is the story about? Mm. So I'll give you a quick example. Um, my sister and I are writing a biopic on a figure skater. And like in the first five pages, we make it, I hope we do, we make it clear that this story is about his final Olympic season. Mm. So that's not the inciting incident per se, but it's like, if a reader is going to read this, they know, okay, this is about a figure skater, their final Olympic season. And it's hard. So try to figure out some way in dialogue or description or something to make it obvious, like, okay, this is what the script's about. And it makes the reader feel like I'm in good hands. This screenwriter knows what they're doing. They know, they know what this story is about. So mm. I can kind of relax and just kind of let the story speak for itself. Yeah, because I imagine um, in that example you give there about if in the first five pages I know this is about someone who's entering their final Olympic season, then already before I even find out what the inciting incident is, I've got a ticking clock because this is this is a finite thing that's happening, isn't it? It's not like this is just arriving in someone's life and their life goes on until they die. You're saying this is going to be a story about a, nice, a figure skater who's coming to the end of their career. So therefore what's important about that is the question you're begging yourself at that point. Exactly. Exactly. Because now I'm trying to remember the inciting incident for that script for us is um, the character makes a choice of choosing a different coach for their last Olympic season. So that's the inciting incident. Mm. But like you said, even before that, we have to know what the script's about, Mm. you know, Um, and it's hard. It's really hard, but it's important Mm -hmm. because as a reader, it's like, nothing's worse than opening a script. And it's like, I have no idea what this is about. And I'm on page 12. Like I've been there. Whatever. I've been there, Gina. Yep. You know, <laughs> um, and it's hard. I'm not saying all of this is easy. It's just, you know, mm. um, okay. I'll get more into this later, but is the description of the script interesting? So the, the action or like the, um, so-and-so picks up a figure skate, <laughs> like, is that interesting or is it just like generic? And again, I'll have a whole section about that, but that's important. Like if the writer just says like, she walks down the road, it's like not exciting. And it's kind of boring. And it makes me automatically think this person doesn't know how to write, even if they do, even if their dialogue's amazing, like focus you, on you the kind, You're kind of saying there though, something I've heard myself before, which is you're, 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 invite, you're invited really to make the read exciting for the reader. Why make it boring for them? Exactly. Uh, yes. And again, I'll have a whole section about how to mm. like write for emotional mm. impact, but yes, exactly. Um, oh yeah, okay. What is the character good at? The main character has to be good at something. Um, Because if they're not, why are we following them? Why are they the main character? Um, And it could be anything. Like if you're having a story that's more like modern and more about their life, like, I don't know, make them be really good at their job. Even if the script's not about their job, like they have to be competent. Just so many scripts I've read, like literally the main character is just going through plot, but it's like, no, what are they good at? And then why are you telling this story? Again, it's hard, but it's important. A lot of scripts don't have that. But that, but that whole point, that kind of thing points to character because it's we're, we're all, you know, I like football, but if all you did was show that I like football, you'd be missing off quite a lot about who yeah. I am. So this right. is the same applies to your characters. 
Totally. Exactly. And, and that also shows if the characters are complex or not. Like if they're not good at anything, they don't feel like a real person. Like mm. I hope, I would think everyone's good at at least something, even if it's small, yeah. you know? Um, okay. Last thing. Go on. Go on. I'll let you finish. Go on. Okay. Um, what are the stakes? This is something my sister and I have a big problem with. Like if the character doesn't go forward in their journey, would their life change or would it stay the same? Mm. We have such a hard time figuring that out. So I'm still learning that, but like, yeah, if they say yes or no to the inciting incident, what happens? That's something good to write down somewhere just to keep in mind. Yeah. Is it, is it shit or is it worse than shit? If that's the two choices, you've got a story, haven't you? Exactly. And we <laughs> definitely need help with that. So. Well, look, uh, that the, the dog barking moves on to number three, which is how to make description better writing for emotions. Yes. Okay. So I was kind of talking about this before. Yeah. So if a, if a character is walking down the street, that's fine. You could write that in the script. She walks down the street. But I took this class, Writing for Emotional Impact, and I recommend the book. So it's called Writing for Emotional Impact by Carl Iglesias. Yes. Wow. I'm, I used to speak Spanish, and I butchered that name. Um, so he, he always says, when you're writing a script for a reader, because that's the first person in mm -hmm. the industry, right? you have to make them feel something. And one way to do that is how you write description. So instead of, um, instead of describing a character, like she's a mean woman, you could say she is a shrew mm. or instead of he's a thoughtful and generous. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me what inspires your music. And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply man, he's a saint, like just kind of it, just making it different and like pop out automatically. You get this like feeling of emotion when you read that, like she's a shrew. You're like, Oh, I know exactly what that character is, but it makes you like feel something. Adding metaphors and similes is actually part of <laughs> the book that Carl writes hmm. when it comes to um, having emotions. So like in Big Fish, one of the lines of description is his heart falls 20 floors. Or in Taxi Driver, like a moth, she draws closer to the flame. Like, it's hard because they always say, don't make your description like a novel. Mm. Don't be novelistic. But if everything else is written well and your dialogue's good and you feel like you're in good hands, if you write stuff like that, no reader is ever going to think, this is too novelistic. They're going to think, wow, this person can write. Clearly, they know about metaphors and similes. Mm. You know? Well, I, I mean, I must admit, I, I began to see this pattern once I started reading the blacklist winners of uh, of um, over recent years. And you go, yeah, there's there's 
people are, pe- there seems to be a acceptance in the 21st century at the very least for a bit of prose to spice yeah. up a screenplay. It won't when it gets to production, they'll scrub all that out and all they'll need to know is that somebody gets out of bed or and it's in a hotel room and yada 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 which is all very practical. But when you say when you get to that reader position, it is about eliciting emotion, isn't it, from your words on your page. That's all you've got. Between you and it going somewhere else is your choice exactly. of words. You really have to think about that. Like the, that script that goes <clears> to a reader has to be a writing document. Also a document for actors and directors, but most importantly, like, is it a piece of writing that is great? And it's hard. Again, mm. it's hard. And as long as I think if you don't use like five sentences of metaphors in the same paragraph, like, mm. I think you're good. You could have one sentence that's a metaphor. And also the thing about metaphor and simile is is to avoid the the tried and tested because if it's already been used, then you're asking people you, you're not you're not actually testing the reader. You're just telling what they already know. Whereas if you use a surprising metaphor that might mean the same thing, then you're making them think about what you're trying to say. Exactly. I love that. Beautifully said. Thank you, Gina. <laughs> um, one last thing about this, even though please buy that book, Writing for Emotional Impact. Um, so use high dynamic verbs. So instead of like, she runs, it could be she paces. Hmm. Like just try to use different words than like we always see. Instead of the bell rings, the bell clangs. The sludge oozes instead of drips. Like try to be more like, dramatic and specific because that will really help with the emotion that you're trying to portray. And again, I found all these examples from his book. So please read that. He goes into why, how to make dialogue more emotional, how to make structure more emotional. Like it's probably the best screenwriting book in my opinion. So. Well, and when you get into the game of playing with words like that, you're asking the the reader to visualize because, because the words themselves are so exciting. Exactly. Exactly. Well, that uh, that barking noise does mean that five minutes are up. So we're already on to number four, which is character, arc, and theme. What do you want to say about that? Yeah, this is a really good um, <laughs> test for me and how to only speak for five minutes. I love it. Okay. So how does the character change? So many screenplays that I've read, it's only the plot that changes. So the, the, a specific character goes on this crazy journey. That's awesome. But it's all external, hmm. which, you know, I guess some films that has worked maybe, but you also have to think about the internal arc. And I know everyone says that, but I've read so many scripts that like, it has a great plot, but the character doesn't change. Hmm. And unless, unless you're like Manchester by the sea, where like, that's the whole point is that the character doesn't change. They should change. And again, it's hard. It's really hard. But I think even even before you start coming up with an idea, I say this and my sister and I do the opposite. You should think about how the character is going to change. Or, okay, so my sister and I do, we figure out the plot first because that's harder for us for some reason. And then we go back and think, okay, how is this character going to change? A lot of people may think that's like writer suicide, don't do that. But, you know, that kind of works for us. But like, as long as you think about it, and talk about it and put that in the script. It doesn't matter how you figure out your story. Just make sure it's there. Well, no, and I think, well, I think, I think the, the, the point of looking out for it is the most important bit. How you get there is 
you know, every writer's got their own process. I mean, I don't think if we were to be dictatorial about how you design character arcs and themes, we'd uh, none of, most of us won't be able to do it if there's only one way, and you have to find your I love way. That. I appreciate that, <laughs> but it's true though. Yeah. It's like, because I mean, my true. an example I always give about writing is uh, Michael Arndt, who did uh, Little Miss Sunshine, and I used to worry that I was somehow doing it wrong. And in 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 a in an interview where he was asked, well, how does he write? He just said, I procrastinate till I hate myself. And I've never heard anyone admit that. And at the time, it was really shocking. But then I began to think, well, that's sometimes that's what I do. I don't mean to, I'm not saying that to be melodramatic, but you know, you 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 did find that the struggle to write something was doing your head in. And to hear somebody at his level say it, you're like, oh right, so that's perfectly normal. Yeah, Simon Kimberg, um, he's written a lot of the X-Men films. Um, my sister and I have met him. He's, he's awesome. He has said that he's called his agent and said, I don't know how to write. I don't know what I'm doing. I quit. I can't do this. And she has to calm him down. Mm. So like, all writers feel this way. It makes me feel a little bit better. Um, uh, okay. Oh, yeah. Have the theme help write the plot. That's my second point. Again, not something that we do, but every scene should be about the theme. Like, are you trying to disprove or prove the theme? So let's say the figure skating biopic, our theme is you should be yourself no matter what, even if the world is telling you not to be. In the inciting incident, our character chooses the opposite. Mm -hmm. So he's going to try to conform to what the world wants him to be in order to get success. So that's the inciting incident. Then at the end, well, then at the midpoint, something happens that kind of disrupts that goal of his. He's not conforming anymore. And then at the end, he realizes, no, I have to be myself. I don't care about Olympic gold. I need to be myself and show that to the world. So like, it, it's, it helps that it's a true story and that kind of helped us, but really use the theme to help with the big moments and even just every scene, to be honest. What's hard is having dialogue that doesn't sound on the nose that's about the theme. Mm. <laughs> That's also something we have to work on, to be honest. But yeah, does does this scene have anything to do with the theme? If it doesn't, it might not be important. And again, that's hard. I We have scenes that have nothing to do with the theme and we might need to cut. But just think about that. Like the theme is the character trying to prove it or disprove it. So in that um, sense, you, you, you're talking about where, the, where we know what the character wants, but we might already understand what the character needs. So we understand that internal conflict. And so yeah. how they begin to talk about this or how they interact with other people should be trying to elicit the answer to getting us nearer to need and further away from one. That's actually way better said than what I said. Exactly. I feel like the character starts off the story, right? With like, this is what I need. This is what I need. And then by the end, they might reach that. Actually, this is what I want, or this is what I want. And this is actually what I need. Mm. So yeah, use that to help with story. And well, you see, the thing is, it's like it's the classic. The classic way of looking at it is, you know, a toddler knows what they want, but they don't know what they need. And so, in a way, your character is almost thinking like that with their id, which is, <laughs> I want, I want to win the ice skating championship. So that's a want. So what do I need to do to achieve that? Because just wanting to do it isn't going isn't going to get me that far. Yeah, I love that. Well, look, the dog, the dog has barked on us again. And uh, that brings us to the fifth one. And I feel like this could be uh, your home territory here. So number five is what makes a good biopic adaptation? 
Tell us more, Gina. Okay, so top 50 script, we did a Van Gogh biopic. Now we're writing, um, it was actually a feature, now we're turning it into a limited series pilot about this figure skater. And then we're also obviously doing a Sherlockian adaptation. So this is definitely what we love to write about. We would love to write original stories too, but we also love this. So what's the most interesting point in a person's life? So our Van Gogh biopic, I don't want to give too much away, but um, it's the nine weeks that he spends with another artist, Paul Gauguin, mm-hmm. in, together. And it starts with them being acquaintances and it ends with um, Vincent cutting his ear off. So within those nine weeks, you could tell a lot about a person without having to do their whole life story. So as long as you find like the most interesting part of their life, they could be talking about past experiences or personal views within that nine weeks. And you still get a whole sense of who Van Gogh is. So that's just one example. So what you're saying there is, is we don't need to see the scene of Van Gogh, the baby for us to get an insight, an insighting view into Van Gogh, the baby, because he can say my mother dropped me on my head when I was two or whatever, whatever it might be that tells us something about his life without having, but, but, but it be, if that's in context to, something that's confronting me in the present, you kind of get two for one, don't you? Exactly. Exactly that. Like, um, imitation game is actually a really good example of showing flashbacks Mm -hmm. as well as Alan Turing's present life. So that's actually really difficult. I, I applaud Graham Moore for that one. But if you don't, you don't need your biopic to have flashbacks. If you can figure out a cool way, like he did by all means, but like, like you just said, you could figure something out about this character. Like when I watch a good biopic, I want at the end to want to Google this person mm. because I didn't see their whole life. I got just enough to me for me to be obsessed with this person. So then now I could like look back at everything, mm. but also get a good sense of who they were in the past as well. So how do you um, and your sister then, when you're, when you're, when you're meeting out these, these, these true stories, how do you go about working out what's best for you to cover in a, 90, 120 minute film. Yeah. Sometimes it's hard because, okay. So our figure skating biopic, like I said, it's his last Olympic season. Mm -hmm. Easy. Van Gogh, those nine weeks, easy. So those were easy for us. Um, We wanted to do a heady Lamar biopic, but so many people are doing that as like a TV show or a film. And basically um, Hedy Lamar was this huge film actress, but she also helped invent Bluetooth and Wi-Fi technology. Okay. Um, so we would love to write a biopic, but it's fine. It's been done. But her story would be a little harder because her life is interesting when she was a film actress, but it's also interesting when she met this composer and together they figured out how to use music and infuse that into science. And that somehow figured out Wi-Fi technology and Bluetooth technology. Like that's crazy. So that would be harder to figure out because in my opinion, there isn't just one event that really defines her. Um, So yeah, you really have to obviously do research. And I think for that one, if we were to ever do it, we, we jump time a little bit, somehow make that make sense. Cause she has way too many interesting things that happen um, in a period of time. One, one that I enjoyed um, is the, is the Morrissey biopic where the filmmaker decided to do the bit that led up to him forming the Smiths, 
not the Smiths onwards. So mm. because because the Smiths onwards is so public domain that you would know that story, he decided it'd be more interesting to look at who was the Morrissey before he became the enigmatic guy jumping around with daffodils in his trousers. And, and so to learn who he was before that all <laughs> happened was a really interesting way to look at that character. I love that. And now I need to watch this. Um, that's amazing. Like, like you just said, everything else is public domain. So let's let's really dive into something that maybe not mm. everyone knows about. Yeah. That's so so cool. we, in the film, you get to see Morrissey when he's working in a government office. Cool. There's our five. Well, look, uh, let me just run through the list then, just so uh, people can get a heads around what we've just whirlwind them through. We've done screenwriting competition tips. We've done freelance script reading, common mistakes. We've done how to make better, sorry, how to make description better, writing for emotions. And with that in mind, writing for emotions to elicit from your reader. Um, character arc and theme, and then what makes a good biopic and adaptation. Um, one thing that I'd like to ask you, having gone through all that and in and in recent memory of me interviewing a pair of twins on the same day, is how do you find collaborating with your twin compared to collaborating with people that aren't your twin? That is the well, question I asked the twins this morning, so I've got to ask you the same question. I'm really curious what they said. I personally find it a lot easier. Um, we're lucky because we're best friends and we have a lot of the same opinions, but even when we disagree, it's so funny. Like if I say something like, no, I don't like that. I don't like that. And she's like, why? And I'm like, blah, 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 blah. And she's like, okay. And same thing with her. For some reason, like we both know what's best, even if initially the other person didn't think that it's weird. So I find it easier, I guess, because we're on the same page, right? Mentally. Um, now, we do like collaborating with other people. So I'm, I'm not going to say <laughs> collaborating with other people isn't easy or great, mm. but it's just easier. That's, um, funny enough, it's not a million miles away from what I got told this morning, but I, when it goes live, I'll share it with you so you can you cool. can hear it for yourself. Well, look, Gina, thank you very much for uh, giving us your, uh, your, your thoughts and experience and pointers about screenwriting. Um, and it just gives me to say thank you very much for giving us your time on the Britflix podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm really um, honored that you even asked me. And if you guys want to find me on Twitter, it's at Gina Gemini. Gemini is spelled G-E-M-E-N-I. And yeah, again, I'm so honored to be a part of this and I can't wait to share it. Hey, y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? 
And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.